being trans breaks one of the biggest rules about here's how men are and here how women are. So we said, I broke all the rules. So now I don't have other little rules. So we have to build ourselves from the ground up anyways. Some things we choose to opt into, some things we choose to opt out of. But the goal of trans liberation is that everyone gets to make those choices. Everyone gets to say, how do I want to be perceived? What do I want to be called? How do I want to wear my hair and my clothes? And for everyone to be free from those rules and expectations, this is a movement that seeks to bring joy and liberation for everyone, like all social movements, I think, seek liberation for all people. everyone. Welcome to another episode of Queerly Overthinking. I am one of your producers here, Cass Cooper. And as always, I am joined by the wonderful Adam Harper. Hello, Adam. Oh, hello. (laughs) This episode is very, very special to both myself and Adam. We are here with the amazing Ben Green. Ben is a scholar, a teacher, a writer, an educator, an activist, and happens to also be an openly trans man living in Missouri. And we're just really glad to have you and to listen to your insights and learn and kiki and all the things. So, hey, Ben. Thank you. Hey, I am so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. So let's see, life story in a nutshell. I'm Ben Green. I use he, him pronouns. I am an openly trans man. I came out at 15 years old in a tiny town in Connecticut. I was one of the first people that I had ever known to come out. I'm sure there were people who did come out before me, just not ones that I knew of. Uh, But I was one of the first people that I knew of to come out in my town. And that was really challenging because I had to build a lot of support systems around myself as I realized I needed them. I came out and had to grow up almost immediately. I was teaching our health classes, training our guidance staff, leading our student groups. My parents called me the Pied Piper because no one came out in our town without talking to me about it first. It was really fun in a lot of ways. And it was really challenging because I felt like I was jumping out of a plane with a tarp and a sewing kit where I had to build resources as I was realizing I needed them. And when it was already a little bit too late for me to really benefit from those resources, And so that's why as an adult, I have made my career into being the parachute factory. I want to build those supportive structures and cultures and systems so that trans young people, trans adults and employees and people everywhere just get to exist as they are and be supported by default rather than needing to build those support systems for themselves. So I do public speaking work now. I travel around and speak at companies. I do advocacy work. I travel to the Missouri State Capitol. I live in St. Louis, so I'm often up in our Capitol when we're in session testifying against the transphobic and homophobic bills that we have. I do a lot of work with parents and families where I do free coaching when families have their kids come out. And my book, uh, My Child is Trans, Now What? will be coming out next year. So I do a ton of work with families. And one of my favorite things I get to do is I am TikTok's trans older brother. So I make a lot of wholesome content over there uh, under the name Pseudo Bro because I'm your fake older brother uh, and just get to be that older brother figure for a lot of kids that I didn't have when I was growing up. And it brings me so much joy to get to be that for other people so they don't have to go through what I went through alone. So that's my kind of life story boiled down into a really short little tidbit. But that's why I'm here, why I do what I do. And I am just super excited to be here. Thank you so much for sharing that. I love how just succinct that was. I I felt like you were 
literally covering years of life and you know really highlighting all the pieces that like make you who you are and it's amazing to see that journey in such like a, a boil down you know essence of who you are because it, it just shows I think so much growth too that's happened throughout those yeah. years and how you're able to take that and share that with others now and I think that's so just I, I love that when you're in a position to look back and learn and take from that and move forward and impart that same like understanding with others. So thank you for first and foremost for sharing all of that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It is really, you know, at this point, I've been out and living as Ben for almost 10 years. And that's a really long time. And at that, in that 10 years, I have spent a significant amount of time learning, reading, reflecting, going to therapy, essentially studying what it means to be me. And anyone studies anything for 10 years, we consider them an expert. And so I think it's really cool to feel like I have become an expert in myself and my identity and my experiences. And there's always something new to learn, but it is, it is really cool to get to share that. 100%. And I always am a firm believer of there's only one version of us in this whole universe's existence. And it's like exactly what you're saying, becoming an expert on yourself and how you can connect to society and, you know, just share that knowledge of wisdom. I, I yeah. literally, that's amazing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, well, we do have uh, some thoughts that we want to come through and really dive deeper into, but um before we do that, where can people learn more about you and kind of uh, learn more uh, about what you're currently doing and pursuing? Yeah, absolutely. My website's going to be a great place to start, uh, BG Trans Talks. I came up with it in college. I know it's a little uh, cheesy, but I like it. It works for me. Uh, or just searching Ben Green on social media platforms. I'm on TikTok. I'm on Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn, even though I kind of hate it there. But I'm there anyways, because that's where we got to be. Uh, I'm all over. Uh, I'm not on Twitter for my mental health purposes. We should all be fleeing Twitter, uh, but I am I am around on the social medias. I really love the idea of building a community as you need them, right? And the whole idea of we don't really know what we need until we have new experiences. Unfortunately, so many of us are out here searching for the community that we either needed when we were younger or needed even just more recently. Um, and so the idea of you had the, I mean, I'm sure it was struggle, but we're talking about it a little bit, how you like to frame things in terms of joy, but like the idea that you get the opportunity to pick the community that you need in real time is kind of beautiful, really. I think like that's just that phrase blew me away, building community as you needed them. Yeah, it is. You know, I, I think a lot about the power of community, especially the past couple of years have been so hard to be a member of the trans community. And the only reason that I have been able to get through it is because of that community that's around me. And there was this phrase that was all over social media for a while, which is, you know, you don't owe anybody anything. And that to me is just American rugged individualism wearing a therapy hat. We owe each other everything because we are all we have. And I think about that wow. all the time. I, I'm not interested in saying I need my independence. I don't owe anyone every anything. I did that for a long time and it was isolating. I owe everyone as much as I can give because I deserve everything. And that means that I also, other people around me deserve it and who's gonna give it to them but me. We, we owe each other everything. So I, I think about that a lot. I love community and community building. The first point that we really want to hone in on, um, as we had kind of talked about this previously, 
the thought of recontextualizing trans joy and the celebration within that community, a couple questions, uh, we can start with this first one of, you know, what has the narrative predominantly been surrounding the trans community? Yeah, that is a great question. And one that, especially in recent years, I've spent a lot of time really reflecting on because I learned about my transition through, and I think a lot of people learned about trans people through this lens of misery, where we describe people, trans people as you're trapped in the wrong body. And that's the narrative that we went with for a long time. And I think that isn't entirely inaccurate. For me, at least, I didn't feel like I fit in the body that I was born into. It didn't feel quite right. And that feeling is called gender dysphoria, which is that misalignment. And we talk about trans identities through this lens of escaping that dysphoria. How do we go from a negative 10 to a zero? And that's great. That's fine. I love not being in a negative 10 anymore. That's an objectively horrible place to be. But that's like going from jail to a best Western hotel. It's fine, but I still don't live here. I can't hang up anything on the walls. It's just I found a neutral space in my body. If I'm going to break all the rules of gender anyways, I want to find joy in my body. I want to go from that best Western into a home. So we start using words like gender euphoria, which talks about this joy when someone's identity and their expression or the way, essentially when the world sees you as you are, that joy and that alignment or when you see yourself as you are, that's gender euphoria. And I wish I had known more about these words, you know, for my transition, I had top surgery because I needed to escape the chest that I had. I was miserable. I missed out on a lot of life because of the, the body that I had in that way. I was really uncomfortable. And I got to a very comfortable, neutral place. And a few years after my top surgery, I had to start hormone therapy, not because I was miserable without it. I was fine without it, but I am even more joyful with it. It has been three years now, and I will never look back. I mm. love the little 13-year-old boy facial hair that you can't see because we're on a podcast. And I'm having so much fun with this little second puberty that I'm in. It is so joyful to me. And it doesn't just have to be medical joy, but I think the narrative has been so sad for so long. And when we talk about trans people coming out, people say, what can I do? How can I support them? What are the problems? How do we deal with transphobia? And we go right into problem solving. But trans identities aren't problems to be solved. They are magical things. And society's response, that's the problem to be solved. But my identity, that's a magical thing about myself. I wouldn't trade that for the world. Oh my gosh, so much right there. And I love everything you said with that. And what came to mind was, you know, from, correct me if I'm wrong, but like, from what I understand, you know, not everybody wants to, you know, physically make change for themselves. Like some people just want to identify or, you know, align themselves um, in a way that best fits them. And um, I think there is just that assumption in not knowing more about this community of if someone comes out as trans, immediately there needs to be some sort of change in appearance or the way that they present themselves. And it, from what I've been continuing to learn, that's not always the case. Like people don't like feel like they want to change if they don't want to in any way, shape or form. And I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done in supporting that mentality that someone can come out as trans, but they don't have to change anything about who they are physically. I mean, yeah. is that 
kind of that same mentality? Absolutely. You know, I think there are a lot of people who, because we have this mindset of you are escaping your body, there's the idea of you want to complete the transition. You want to successfully escape all the parts of your body and people view it as a staircase. So there are certain procedures that I'm not interested in having. And that to some people might make me seem that I am having an incomplete transition that I'm sitting, you know, hanging out, sitting in the middle of a staircase, just chilling. But I don't feel that way at all. There is no set order of things. A lot of people expected that I was going to go on hormones first and for years would ask, why haven't you gone on hormones? Is it because your parents aren't supportive? Is it because you're afraid? Is it because whatever, this, why, this, that, and the other? And it was really hard for me because I was like, yeah, I'm not actually interested in that. But people always asking me, oh, why haven't you done that? yet because they assumed that was the journey I was going to have to be on. And I found my way to hormone therapy, but not because of everyone else assuming that was what I wanted. It was a, a very circuitous, not linear path that I took there. Uh, but in general, you know, rather than thinking of trans identities as this like, okay, you got to flip the switch, you got to do all the things to successfully go to the other side. I think about myself, I don't think that I changed genders. I don't think that I went, I was living as a woman and then I was living as a man. I don't feel that there was a moment where I switched. I think that over the course of my life, I have come home to myself. I think that it has taken some visible changes, some personal spiritual changes, some legal changes, but I have, whatever that looks like, I have come home to myself. And I think that a lot of trans people feel similarly, whatever that's going to look like. Everyone can go home to their self, whatever that means. I think anyone, not just trans people, can find that home in their selves. Trans people just start off a little bit further away from that home sometimes, but there's no one route to get to that home. And so I think there's, there's no right or wrong way for anyone to be trans. All that matters is that you go home. I love that analogy, like the idea, so many like things like joy is liberation, the idea of life is a journey and having a multiplicity of ways you can experience that journey over time. And there's no one universal way to like get to the place that you're meant to be and who you are, even who you always were. My dad used to say this thing of like, you know, Grasshopper, there's many different ways to get from the front yard to the backyard. Right. Like I might go through, I, I say, meet me in the backyard and we're in the front. You go straight through the front door and down into the basement, up the stairs in the back and through the back door out of the basement. I go through the front door and directly in the back. I go around the left side of the house. I go around the right. But at the end of the day, like the goal is to still get to that place of togetherness for yourself yeah. and with your community. And I think the idea that we all deserve this opportunity to find our way in life. And it's not a problem. To, that is the problem to be solved. Yeah. How do you find your way in life? Not your identity, not your gender. How do you find a joyous way through the life that you have? That to me is like, I can't wait to read your book. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like really floored. Like, yeah, it is. It's like, how do we maintain joy for everyone? Yeah. I know for me, I just find opportunities to play and have fun. And when I think about solutions to things, they're not always serious solutions. So when I'm talking to someone who said, yeah, my family just can't remember the right pronouns for me. My first solution is a spray bottle because it's funny. <laughs> 
right? I mean, listen, grandma's waterproof. Grandma's going to be fine. It creates an easy visual reminder to use the right pronouns. It's it's silly and it's effective. Not every solution has to be like, okay, we need to have a meeting with the family to talk about this. No, we can have a Sprite bottle and it's hilarious and it's very effective. All I see is a whole bunch of black aunties like covering their hair. Like, don't spray me with a spray bottle. Well, on that same vein and same note, we kind of touched on it already uh, about finding those moments of joy and ways to celebrate not only your personal life, but then just the experiences in your life. And before we move to the next segment, I wanted to just like make sure we cover anything related to that. Like, is there one that comes to mind specifically that you feel like you want listeners to, to know about? Mm, yeah, that is a great question. I think... Honestly, the way that I lead my life now, I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about this question. I think the way that I lead my life now, every bit of it is an intentional love letter to my transness and to my identity, the way that I relate to others, the way that I treat myself and treat my body, the relationship that I'm in, I'm planning a wedding, which is something I never thought was possible, the friendships that I cultivate that are so loving and respectful, both with cis folks and trans folks and non-binary people, the ways that I walk through the world all feel really joyful to me. And I think that's been very intentional. But there's one really specific quote that I from a book that I love that I would love to share that just kind of highlights a lot of what I mean when I say that I love being trans and this kind of magic that I feel is in there, which is uh, God made me trans for the same reason he made grapes instead of wine and wheat instead of bread so that humanity could share in the divine magic of creation. Every day when I realize that I am growing a little bit of new facial hair or have become even stronger because of my testosterone or have learned a new thing about myself and the way I want to interact with the world, I feel like I am creating myself. Every time I opt out of a social norm or decide what way I want to dress or how I want to wear my hair, I feel like I am my own sculptor. And that is so magical to me. It is so beautiful. I love getting to be a part of that. I would not trade that for anything. I'm going to cry. Okay. <laughs> I really am. I just am like, ugh, I'm going to shut up. Okay, go ahead. I don't want to be like the resident straight that just keeps talking, but like, I just, I mean, it really is. It's like this whole idea of like, and I think that the thing that's just the hardest to, is because there is the possibility for so much joy and so much beauty and so much just freedom and expression and like, I I just that's a really beautiful way of thinking about like the choices you make and yeah. I just I'm so like moved by that. Yeah. Sorry. I don't mean to be like no, the... You're good. I think <laughs> the the goal of trans liberation and this movement is for everyone to have the ability to make those choices. Trans people are not alone in creating ourselves. I think being trans breaks one of the biggest rules about here's how men are and here how women are. So we said, I broke all the rules. So now I don't have other little rules. So we have to build ourselves from the ground up anyways. Some things we choose to opt into, some things we choose to opt out of. But the goal of trans liberation is that 
everyone gets to make those choices. Everyone gets to say, how do I want to be perceived? What do I want to be called? How do I want to wear my hair and my clothes? And for everyone to be free from those rules and expectations. This is a movement that seeks to bring joy and liberation for everyone, like all social movements, I think, seek liberation for all people. Yeah. Mm. Mm. That reminds me, I just fin- I just recently saw the movie Everybody. Um, if you haven't seen it yet, it just came out like late June. So it's, I don't know if it's, it should still be in theaters, but it discusses uh, a little bit about more so the intersex community and how mm. the strides made in the transgender community have really opened up the doors for the intersex community, as you just said, to, you know, for people to um, f- define who and how and what they want to do to express themselves and, you know, to break down those norms. So that way there's more joy, more understanding and more kindness, and more love. But it, as you said, it's a, it's a movement. Like we are in, you know, a renaissance right now. We're in a, an age of change and kind of segueing into the next point that we want to cover of, you know, what is actually happening right now during this, this movement and what are some things that we can do to kind of like get more involved and specifically, what would you say is the current political landscape concerning transgender issues and rights? Yeah. So I think it all comes back to what you just pointed out, which is that we are in sort of a renaissance right now. What we are seeing is a reaction from people who feel threatened by the increased acceptance of transgender people, of LGBTQ plus people broadly. This is a moment where we're seeing a lot of bills and what's really challenging about this political moment, and this is something I talk about often, absolutely nothing is to be taken at face value about what's going on right now. There is, I know I sound a little bit like a conspiracy theorist sometimes with the way that I talk about this, but it is a very intentional, there has been a massive leak of emails. If you're curious about like really digging into the insidious network of people leading this, I would look up Mother Jones. She shares a lot of really phenomenal information on that website. Um, Mother Jones has been a while. She like, they've been here since day one, putting everything out. Like before Mm -hmm. WikiLeaks was a thing, she... Yes. Mother Jones, double click for sure. Mm-hmm. Love Mother Jones. So that's a great resource if you want to like really dive into this. But the key to understand is that there is a movement right now to erase transgender and LGBTQ plus people. And for my LGB folks saying, well, this is a trans issue. They are coming for all of us. They are using the exact same playbook as they are in the fight to take away gay rights, as they are in the fight to attack abortion rights. This is about attacks that they perceive us attacking the Christian family structure. I know that might sound really scary, and I want to be clear that I don't think that Christianity is the villain here. I think that one of my life philosophies is that you can find anything that you're looking for. You can find evidence that absolutely anything, within some amount of reason, is true. You can find articles that agree with you on the internet. You can find people that agree with you in real life. And in religion, people can look into religion and they can find a sword or they can find a shield. I think there are so many people who have taken religion and used that as a reason to take up arms in social justice issues and be protective of their neighbors and their loved ones and their family members have become like in the Jewish community. There is so much showing up for members of the queer community and same within all different faith communities. There are so many people who have found the shield, but especially in Christianity, there are a lot of people who have found the sword. 
And so when they feel those Christian values are under attack, that view of the nuclear family with the submissive wife, that view is very much threatened by feminism, by transgender people, by LGBTQ plus people. So there is a general effort to erase transgender and LGBTQ plus identities. And every bill that we're talking about right now is simply to that end goal. So for example, when we talk about the sports bills, because that's where this started, the sports bills were simply there to build anger towards the transgender community. They were never solving a problem that actually existed. And that's something that I talk about with a lot of these bills is that they're not solving problems that exist. So with the sports bills, for example, here in Missouri, we had eight anti-trans sports bills proposed on a K through 12 level. Here in Missouri, we also had five transgender athletes total across the whole state apply to compete. And again, this is a well-regulated process. This is not something that they just said, I'm going to go and play sports because today I said that I'm identifying as female and now I'm playing sports. There is a whole process, an application process. They make sure that you are really identifying as transgender and that it is really fair. And there are not people who are pretending to be transgender to join sports teams or compete or cheat in athletic competitions. It is building anger about a problem that doesn't exist. So people who say, oh, it's about protecting children or fairness in sports. I agree that women's sports deserve equality. How about we pay the U.S. women's national team as much as the U.S. men's national team for soccer? How about we make sure that girls' high school sports teams get the same funding as the boys' football team who gets a new stadium every year while the girls' field hockey team is wearing uniforms from 1985 that are falling apart at the seams? How can we find that fairness in sports? Or for people who say it's about protecting children, many of these bills include random genital exams. You could, by request, say, I think my competitor is transgender, and a referee would have to check their genitals live at a sporting event. That's what we're talking about when we're saying protecting children. They, this is horrifying. And most of these bills so far have been weaponized against cisgender people. None of these bills yet have been used to target a transgender athlete specifically with those genital check bills, but they have been used against many slightly gender non-conforming cisgender women, often black women or lesbians or people who people feel are not paragons of traditional femininity. These bills are going to hurt everyone, especially women, especially young women and queer women, black women, anyone who's not that classic feminine Christian woman. So there are bills that are, are creating more problems than they're solving. And with each bill that takes a step up in escalation, they build that anger, they build that radicalization, and they move people towards that place of hate. So when we talk about banning youth access to health care, the next step is always publicly stated by these senators who propose the bills is adult access to health care. And we are starting to see attacks on adult access to care around the country as well. This year, we had over 550 anti-trans bills proposed which is a massive number. So there's a lot going on right now, and it's really important to not take these conversations at face value. I won't debate about these topics. I have people on social media say, oh, would you come, would you come and do a debate with me about the trans sports bills? And I say no, because that normalizes it. Debating it implies that we agree there's a problem and we disagree there's a solution. I don't agree that there's a problem we're solving at all. You're the problem I'm trying to solve right now, and we're not going to be able to debate on that. 
And so making sure we know what's going on below the surface of these bills, because like I said before, very little is to be taken at face value. And one of the best things we can do is stay informed. A big part of how we got to this point is not talking about it in the media, not talking about it with our friends, being afraid to get political, unfortunately, is only going to make things worse because for people who say transphobic things or hold transphobic beliefs or support these bills, silence is permission to them. If they are not challenged, if they continue to be invited to the family gatherings, and this doesn't just go for anti-trans bills, this is anything. If people don't say, hey, you can't say that, then they don't know they can't say that or they want you to challenge them. But you have to fight back and not allow people to have those beliefs and show up and you know, know that they're gonna be invited to every family gathering, no matter what they say, because that's Uncle John. Uncle John's just super racist. We embrace that. No, family is about love and respect and not just about we are blood relatives, so I'm gonna let you be super racist. It does mean that Uncle John is gonna be way more likely to hear it from me than he is from some random person. You have additional power in talking to your family members and to your coworkers and your congregation members. If they know you and they trust you, they're more likely to hear it from you from a scientific sociological perspective. So have those conversations. Don't be afraid to, and keep learning. Make sure you are aware of what's going on. Erin Reed, E-R-I-N-R-E-E-D is one of my top favorite resources in this space. She does a lot of phenomenal reporting on social media and on her Substack about what's going on. So find ways to stay up to date about what's going on in your state and around the country, because even for my folks in blue states, the ideas are coming. The ideas are spreading. The hate, check out what's going on in your local school boards. If people aren't able to do it on a state level, they are coming on a local level. These ideas are spreading everywhere. And that silence, that complacency is permission. That is what is allowing it to spread. So for my folks in blue states too, I was a coastal queer for a long time who said people in red states should just move. They're getting what they voted for. Red states are hostage situations, generally speaking. At best, they're hostage. Like, I live in Texas. It, we live in Texas, me and Adam. And like, yo, it is hard, hard, hard out here to turn anything even a little bit purple. And you are just at the whim, at the whim. Mm-hmm. And the Sorry, numbers I mean, are, you were on a roll. I didn't mean to cut you mm-hmm. off. It is no, you're yes. good. It's absolutely right. There are so many people. If you didn't gerrymander those states into oblivion, things would probably go very differently. And that's what we are starting to see a little bit of a taste of. You know, the reality is that as of July 2023, when we hit the midpoint and most legislative sessions were over for the year, we the dust settled with over 500 anti-trans and anti-LGBTQ bills proposed across the country. That is a huge amount. People in red states are fighting just as hard. They shouldn't have to flee their homes to be able to get rights. And if they leave, those ideas are going to fester. There's going to be even less people there to push back and to vote against those policies and those politicians. They're going to keep getting powerful and more platform. So we have to stop these ideas everywhere that they show up rather than just saying, why don't you just move? Because that's only going to make things worse. So one thing I've really been trying to wrap my brain around, Ben, is this whole idea that these anti-trans bills, specifically the ones having to do with sports, are so wrapped up in getting being against trans girls, trans women competing against other girls. 
Very rarely, and correct me if I'm wrong because I might be completely off base, but very rarely do you see a trans boy, someone who has transitioned from girl to boy, being like called out, like they're too strong, right? It's just a trend that I have been noticing more and more of like, we're not calling out girls who transition to boy sports. That is almost like the expectation, right? And we even have cases in college, like colleges, like collegiate cases where a soccer player goes and is the kicker on the boys football team, or they just are a girl who plays hockey. Right. And so I wonder, like, can you, like, do you have any like insight or like thoughts about that? It's just such a like interesting phenomenon for me of we're not afraid for girls who transition to being a boy to play boys sports, but we're afraid of boys who transition to being a girl playing girl sports. Yeah. You know, when I think about how all of the systems of oppression are connected in this movement, this is where misogyny shows up a lot because the underlying message in all of the sports debate is that women are weak and fragile. So for people who don't view trans people as their actual identities, trans men, uh, so people who are assigned female at birth and transition to male, are victims. They are young women who are being corrupted and being hurt. And there's no fear about them going into boys sports because of course they're weak. They're quote unquote heavy air quotes mm. for my people who can't see the video, women. So people assume, okay, you are weak. I'm not worried about you. And people view transgender women as, well, certainly they must be inherently better than all women because all mm. cisgender women are terrible at sports. That's the underlying <laughs> misogyny is that cisgender women are terrible at sports and transgender mm. women are joining to beat them. Uh, that's the kind of underlying. So there's a lot of misogyny layered in there. And there are a lot of trans male athletes. There are not many who are dominating the competition nor, for the record, are there trans women who are dominating any competitions. That's not something we see either. But it is just not something people report on because it doesn't stick. I think that's the reality. There have been a couple of headlines about trans male athletes, and they haven't been popular on social media, so they don't stick. All of this mm. movement, the anti-trans radicalization, is just throw a million pieces of spaghetti at the wall, and whatever sticks that's what we pull off. So like, okay, groomer just started because it started trending on Twitter. And now it has turned into this whole groomer rhetoric and mentality and way we talk about it. But it purely started as a joke on Twitter to be homophobic. And that was where it came from. So it's just seeing what sticks. So talking about trans women in sports happens to be what stuck, because a lot of people already have that internalized misogyny of, well, yeah, women are bad at sports, women need to be protected. So how are we protecting them from quote unquote men, which again, that is not the case. There's a lot of science around the fairness of transgender athletes in sports. But it is something that is really interesting. And there's a lot of misogyny layered in there. Yeah, I just, it just what the other day I was just reading, and I was like, man, I think I was reading Aaron's uh, one of her blogs. And it just dawned on mm. me. I was like, I'm a very, I very, I don't think I've ever read anything about someone being so up in arms that a trans boy played sports with other boys. Like it just mm -hmm. is like a non thing. I mean, maybe it's still attacked, but it's not like this big, like, oh my gosh, I can't, you know, and maybe I just am not seeing it and I'm not like tuned in enough, but I just, I'm glad you made that point about it being so connected to misogyny because there's so many, 
we've talked about it in different episodes about there's so many different intersections where all these oppressions like just happen. If we try to pigeonhole it into one thing, we never really get to the root of mm-hmm. what's going on. And so being able to see the both and as opposed to the either or, right? That's almost like a pun because yeah. like we're talking about gender binary, but like I, I just I want to make sure that like we we loop that in also, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So I really liked what you had to say about the political landscape, how it's intentional. Nothing is to be taken at face value. Can you like talk through or like just walk through how the intersections of race and the trans community, as well as like a white Christian nationalism mindset is geared towards attracting, attacking, not attracting, that would be weird, (laughs) attacking transgender Americans as a whole. Yeah. And I guess all of queer culture as a whole, really, but transgender people specifically. Yeah, I think that is a phenomenal question and one that's so important. And I'm going to talk about this through the lens of sports, but this shows up in, in so many of the different battles that we're fighting. With the way we talk about trans bodies and athletics, it is so racialized because at the end of the day, sports are a combination of, you know, two things. It is a combination of biological differences and hard work. And there are a lot of other factors that go into someone's sports ability, but those are two of the biggest ones. And there are interesting ways that we do and don't celebrate those biological differences. I'm going to point to two examples to point out the differences, neither of whom are transgender. I want to talk about Michael Phelps, and I want to talk about Serena Williams. Michael Phelps is someone who has so many biological advantages, and they love that. There are infographics out the wazoo about how this man has double lung capacity and is shaped like a Dorito chip and has webbed feet. And like, he's just, he's built to be in the water. This man has an unbelievable biological advantage in swimming and he works hard, but also he's built like a duck. Of course, he's going to be great at swimming. So he has these advantages There is not a single person, maybe there's someone, but no one on any national media platform ever saying that he doesn't deserve the awards that he has. Now, when we think about an athlete like Serena Williams or someone like Simone Biles, high achieving black women, they are under significant amounts of scrutiny. People describe them as mannish. People say, you know, with Simone Biles, one of the moves that she did was so good, they decided to make it not count for any points because they said she shouldn't have been able to do that. No one else will be able to do that. It's too dangerous. It's not worth any points. Even though she invented new moves, she does things that no one has ever been able to do before. That's incredible. And that is taken as a threat to people. People see that as not properly doing femininity because they expect female athletes to be bad at sports. And because of that, you know, nifty little thing called white supremacy culture, people especially don't like when black women excel and succeed. We also see with people like Castor Semenya, who in the Olympics, she is a cisgender woman who has higher levels of testosterone naturally and was not allowed to compete in the Olympics because people felt that she had too much of a biological advantage because she was quote unquote mannish or had higher testosterone levels. There is so much of a way that transphobia is weaponized against black women and against women of color. And it's so interesting to think about this idea of biological sex and the quote unquote like bioessentialism, the inherent differences between the biological sexes and how racialized those differences are. 
right? When we think about the differences between someone assigned male at birth and someone assigned female at birth, we think about, okay, how broad are their shoulders? How much facial and body hair do they have? There are so many things we can list out besides just genitals, reproductive organs, and chromosomes. A lot of things go into our descriptions of how we imagine people in different biological sex categories. And those categories were created based on white people. And so that means that very frequently people say, I see a black woman and I think that she is maybe transgender because I am not, you know, because she is not fitting into the white standard of what it means to be biologically female. It is so many, there are so many ways that these fights intersect with each other and the ways they interact with each other and how we define femininity and masculinity. When we think about in Florida, for example, when they were talking about banning critical race theory, one of the key reasons that they shared was that critical race theory classes often talked about queer theory and queer history. Those movements are connected. We have always been connected and we are fighting against the same people. It is very beneficial to those people that we see these movements as separate struggles. But the reality is it's the same people fighting against us for the same reasons, using the same tools, using the same playbook, using many of the same narratives about protecting children and protecting women and all of these things, this fear-mongering and that misinformation. We are fighting the same fight, and the sooner we realize that, the better off we're going to be. And that was a big thing for me to realize really early on in my career as an educator and as an activist is that I'm not fighting just one fight. We are all in this same fight together. It's not just for me to say, how am I fighting for trans people? Because that inherently means for black trans people and for trans women and disabled trans people and trans people who are immigrants and all of these communities, we are the same. We are connected. We are fighting the same systems. And that is so important to recognize. I am in awe. I am in Done. awe. Drop the mic. <laughs> the fuck? <laughs> Left no crumbs. None. None. <laughs> Ate it. I want to take a step back from everything that we've talked about thus far, because we initially started talking about, you know, the initial misconceptions around the trans community, but also like, you know, breaking that down to show how much joy and amazing experiences can be learned from the community to then going into how there's a lot of misinformation around the community, how there's what's currently happening in the political landscape. And so I want to kind of circle it back to something more joyful and exciting. And how can we, you know, truly show our support, not only for this community, but for the young people in the community. And I want to pick your brain on that a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it is definitely a, a hard time to be a trans kid. And this is something that I am very, very passionate about. And so much of my work is about uplifting and supporting trans youth. There are a lot of things that come to mind when I'm thinking about how we can show up for and support and uplift trans youth, because it is such a hard time to be a trans kid right now. And the first going back to that theme of, you know, finding the joy in trans identities is to celebrate. When someone comes out to you, it's not just, okay, now how are we going to solve the problems that come up? How are we going to tell your grandpa? How are we going to whatever? How are we going to do all these things? It's also, wow, a, someone in my life has realized something new about themselves and feels ready to share that with the world. And B, someone has decided that I am worth telling that to, that despite how terrifying it can be to come out to someone, I am worth it. That is incredible. Celebrate that moment. So that's a big one. Celebrate whether you're having a gender re-reveal party or getting a little bit of a cake that says it's a boy, whatever it is, find some ways to honor and celebrate that moment 
with that young person to let them know that you are happy about their identity, that you support them, that you love them, not just that you tolerate it, but that you love them as they are. So that's the first one is to celebrate. And the next, and this is a, an overlying tip that's really important, is that, you know, in my book, I have all sorts of ideas and resources. And out in the world, there are different medical resources. There are ways you can change your appearance, ways you can change your pronouns. And what these all are is tools. And the great thing about having a really full toolkit is that you can build infinite number of things. You can build anything you want with a full toolkit of community and resources. And the great thing about that then is that there isn't a preset thing you can build. So another tip of things you can do to support trans youth is to honor that they're the only one who can tell you what the blueprint is. They might want to build a whole house and never use a screwdriver. I don't know exactly what this metaphor is going to do because I do think a house would fall apart if you never used a screwdriver. But the point is that they can build whatever you want. They can build whatever they want with the tools they have available to them. There are no rules. They are making the blueprint. Your job is to help provide the tools and resources and say, I'm on the building crew. How am I involved? But that young person is the architect. We are going to follow their lead because they are the leading expert on themselves and their needs. And the last thing I'll share, especially for parents, because I know it can be really challenging and scary to have a young person come out. And we talk about it being you know, a roller coaster of emotions. And I like to really lean into that roller coaster metaphor because it is, right? There's the depth defying stomach drop. There are the twists and the turns and the corners you don't see coming. But something else about roller coasters is that objectively, they're terrifying. I would not want to be the first person to go on a roller coaster because that person almost surely thought they were going to die. Maybe they did. Roller coasters are kind of insane. But the reason that we get on roller coasters is because we know that they are designed by professionals. We know that they are built with the best materials. We know that people have been loving roller coasters for decades, if not hundreds of years. People love roller coasters. We see a stream of people getting off on the other end, smiling. We know there are other people who are sitting in the cart right next to us. The reality is, even if it might feel like you are the first person to go through this, you are not. So many people have been trans, have had trans kids, trans partners, trans identities themselves in their lives. In the course of human history, there have been an unknowable number of us showing up, but hundreds of thousands, if not millions of us, easily tens of millions throughout the whole course of human history, many of us finding those moments of joy. There were challenges. I'm not saying this has been a rosy history, but we are finding the fun of that roller coaster ride, finding those moments of joy. You are not the first person to ride this ride. You will not be the last. You are not alone on this ride. So hang on. And even if there are moments where you might need to try really hard not to throw up, acknowledge that this is meant to be a little bit fun sometimes. And that's okay. Mm. Mm. I am so incredibly touched by everything you shared with that because I know that there are likely going to be people listening to this who need to hear that need to feel that need to like who are building that community who are feeling like you know they're starting with a hammer and a couple of nails and they're like where do I begin my blueprint in my house and you know I because I know that I had felt that way as well when I you know 
uh, speaking for myself, you know, as a gay man, I did not know what it meant to be gay growing up. And I felt like I was the only one out there. And so it wasn't until, you know, I started to find resources, started to find other people near me that I felt I had some semblance of a, a understanding of who I was in a community and things like that. So it, everything you just shared, like, I hope that someone can take away from that, that they are truly loved and there is such a rich history as you just shared so thank you so much <laughs> yeah absolutely i think it has been really lovely for me to realize just how many trans people there have been through history i think everyone should read the book before we were trans or just books about queer and trans mythology and history because it feels so lovely to know that we are not the first moment in time to be living these truths and these lives and these ways of loving. This is not new at all. And it, it feels very comforting to know that. And speaking of books, and as you've mentioned your book, when can we expect your book? When do you launch pre-orders? Well, I'm very glad you asked that. I am also excited. I have lots of updates kind of charged and ready to share or some that are even still cooking a little bit. So if you check out the website, that's going to be linked in the show description as well. There is a newsletter on there where you can get all of the first updates and you can get all of the you know fun pre-order access and maybe some even secret insider info. All the deets, all the tea will be on my, my newsletter. Yes. Oh, yes. We love the tea. We love the tea. We know we love the tea. I also would highly suggest following uh, Ben on TikTok, um, not only for your content, but you link to really great content as well. And so it's always something to be learned. And you're so great at amplifying the voices of so many different people. And really, it just warms my heart when I see you come across my screen of like, hey, it's your trans older brother. And I was like, there he is. <laughs> Oh, that makes me so glad to hear. I do. I try really hard to say, you know, if I have been fortunate enough to find a platform, how am I using that to uplift as many different voices and stories as I can? Ben, I can't tell you how much of a pleasure and a privilege and honor it has been to have you here. I would love to know if there is anything that you'd like to close us out with within this episode. Yeah, I think the last thing I'll share is just a, a message for hope, because it is a hard time to be a person right now for anybody. And it is especially hard time to be a trans person to have this target on our back. It is exhausting. But what I will say is this, I spend a lot of time reading my queer history, and I encourage everyone to do the same. And if learning from my queer elders throughout the centuries and millennium of, you know, human existence, if reading my queer history has taught me anything, it's that this community has been attacked like this before when we have fought for ourselves and this community knows how to fight back. We know how to take care of each other and we know how to win as evidenced by the fact that we are still here today. They could not erase us. And that's something I need us to remember. We know how to do that. So we are going to keep fighting the way we know how, and we are going to keep finding new ways to fight. We are going to keep taking care of each other and we are going to keep winning. It's going to take a minute, but we are going to get there. We got to hang in there. It's going to take all of us but I know that we are going to be able to get there. Just hang in there. Thank you so, so much. And I am just so grateful for the dedication that you have shown to yourself and that like outward expression of that. I could just see it's so prevalent. And we attract people in our circles and our social circles and the people that we know because of who we are and that light, you know, it's like the, like, 
what's the phrase I'm looking for? The light in me honors the light in you. And mm. I just, I, I love being able to surround myself with radiant, positive people who would just want to make a change in this world. So thank you again so much for being here. I really had such an amazing time. <laughs> yeah, this has been awesome. It's been a long time coming. I am super excited and honored that you had me on here. This was really lovely. Queerly Overthinking is produced by Adam Harper and Cass Cooper. It is edited by Adam Harper with audio mixing by Necessary Outlet Productions. You can follow Queerly Overthinking on Instagram at Queerly Overthinking and find more at www.queerlyoverthinking.com.